special is brought to you by Los Animas Concrete and the California Grill in Freedom. And now here is MZ. Indeed I am. How are you, Aaron? Be honest. I'm doing okay. I actually walked here first time today since I've worked here. From? I stayed over at my mother's place. My my car's out of commission for a while. Oh, no. No wonder the parking lot looked naked today without <laughs> your car. I, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it now. Now I have, thank you. Yeah. So how far did you have to walk on this on this miserable blizzardy day? Um, actually, I left at around 5:45 and got here like 6:50 and walked all the way from where the flea market is. That so oh, it was wow. a good hour walk. Yeah, that's great. And I haven't done it in a while, so I'm surprised I was as fast as I was. Right. Yeah. Okay. There is no promo today. For the Saturday special, so we don't have to be queuing each other. I don't have to be queuing you. I already looked ahead of time. Okay, good. So you figured that out. On I did. Uh, let's see. Want to say hello to mom, who's here. Hi, mom. How you doing? Good. Hello, Kay. Hi. Okay, and and anybody wants to come and say hey to Kay, get a tote bag that says KSCO that'll, that'll make you feel uh, you'll be swelling with pride wherever you go over these. Made in America canvas tote bags where you can, and I'm I'm just now starting to remember to bring bring that in. It's a good advertisement for KSEO, but besides that, it's it's very functional, you know, because all these places now, you know, are making you pay a fortune for a paper bag, right? You know, and who wants who wants to do that when you can use a fabulous re- reusable. KSCO bag. Anyhow, we got hats down here, and we got we got bumper stickers, and we have and we have um, st- the other kind of stickers. I don't know what you call them. They're not really bumper stickers. You can put them you can put them anywhere. Well, tell them how much they cost. Nothing. They're free. See. Yeah. How do you like that? Now the bags aren't free. I mean, you can win a bag, and you can win a book. You can win a K's commentary book. But if you come. To 2300 Portola Drive during the next two hours, right up until noontime today. Kay is here herself, and she will um, inscribe personally. She will ask you what your name is, and and you know within reason ask what you want her to write, you know besides your name, and then her her um, signature on your inscribed Kay's commentary book. And I'm telling you, I'm I'm warning you people out there. That someday soon, these books are going to become incredible collector's items. Don't you think, Ma? I hope. Okay, good. All righty. So, um, so much for, uh, we're, we're smiling uh, now, but um, I think that's going to be the end of the smiling here because the topic that we're going to be covering on the Saturday special is anything to smile about. And uh, we're going to get into that right after we start off the program officially. So um, let's do that. Good morning. A brighter day is here. Good morning. May we bring you cheer. We've got time. We've got tunes. We've got time, tunes, and temperature. Get up and go, it's today you know on KFCO Radio. It looks like the intense heat has gone away. God, what a week that was. 
Talk about accentuating the drought. Oy vey. All right, welcome to the Saturday special on your favorite radio station, AM 1080 KSEO. My name is MZ. We got a couple of guests in the studio and a guest on the phone. So stay with us for the next couple hours, and I think you'll be happy you did. Good morning. Now stay right here on KSEO Radio. I don't know if the, my choice of words is correct, but um, periodically we take great pride in presenting topics that are not covered in the news media at all that should be, and government agencies that are um, in many cases out of control, like the NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and the uh, California Coastal Commission, uh, and the CPS, the Child Protection Services Agency, and these are all count. This is a county agency. Uh, am I correct? Uh, uh, Fox Sloan. I want to inter- introduce Fox Sloan, who is um, who is pulled into a CPS quagmire. Uh, and he, who was fighting to get her granddaughter back. The granddaughter was taken from you. Correct. By the Santa Cruz County CPS Agency, Child Protection Services Agency. Yes. When and why? It's such a long and involved story, but she was taken uh, from my home and my care on November 26th of 2012. Speak a little closer into okay. the microphone. Thank you. Let me get go. this all down. Uh, I'm sorry. What, what was that date again? Uh, November 26, 2012. Wow. Okay. Go, going on two years now, a year well, and a half. It's, yes. Okay. Are you a bad grandmother? No. You're a good grandmother. I think I'm a really good grandmother. Okay. Why were Why was your granddaughter taken from you by the government? Well, at the time, uh, my daughter, Amanda Fox Sloan, was at large and considered armed and dangerous. Um, She was kind of having a breakdown because she had just lost her husband. He uh, died in her arms in the middle of the night. So she had, before that, lost an uncle, a friend, and her father. Lost to what? Death. And very sudden death. They were. What what kind of death? uh, my, My husband, her dad, died of an aneurysm. Um, her uncle Dave was crushed by a tractor. Uh, her friend uh, Noel was hit and killed on his walking his bicycle home, and her husband was murdered in our driveway at uh, three o'clock in the morning. And so she was having a bit of a, a problem dealing with that. So I wonder why she, as we say, went off the reservation, and um, 
uh, CPS uh, came in and interviewed me, and of course at the time I was liquidating my husband's estate. He didn't leave me a million dollars, he left me a million things, so it was kind of a mess. And um, I explained the situation, and they said, well, if you're going to keep the kids, you're going to have to clean it up. And in two weeks, it was cleaned up. But uh, in the meantime, my daughter showed up at the house, and I had agreed to call 911, and I did not. And something inside me told me, don't call 911 when she's here at my mom's house. And in hindsight, I realized it was the right thing to do because I didn't want to push any of her buttons and um, have the police show up and have her shot in front of my grandchildren. And calling 911 is... Shot? Yeah. Why, yeah. why would she be shot? Because she was armed and dangerous. Oh, okay. And uh, um, nine, calling 911 is not a plan. It is part of the plan. But I didn't have the rest of that plan. And, of course, in the house at the time was my mom, who was 101 at that time, and and three kids. So it was... What year was this? 2012. <coughs> okay, this is, this, well, there was no time leading up to this. This happened pretty suddenly. Yeah, uh-huh. and and so um, anyway, the next week we were able to apprehend um, my daughter at our ranch in the hills, which was isolated, and it wouldn't have been the same situation it was as my mom's house close in. But anyway, um, they used that as an excuse that I did not protect the children, which I think I did, and they came in and, and, and took the children over that because I did not call 911. Okay. Um, all right. Also in the studio here, um, uh, Julian J. Dominguez, all, uh, known as Jerry Dominguez, author of a, pro, of a uh, book called A Culture of Fear, an inside look at Los Angeles County's Department of Children and Family Services. This is, over the years, we, we probably touched on stories about involving child protective services. I, I don't remember specifically doing a Saturday special before. We were on with Georgia in February. Oh, okay. For an hour, and um, we had Robert Powell in. Uh, he's also an attorney from San Jose. He was in on the Sammy situation where CPS took this infant away from their parents because he had a heart condition. And it was it made national news. And while Robert was here in the studio and we were uh, talking, he mentioned Jerry's book. And so I made a beeline for uh, the nearest bookstore to order a copy of it. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, Jerry is here. I want to welcome him to KSCO. Jerry, are you visiting from L.A. area, or do you live around here? No, I'm visiting, and uh, I was invited to come here uh, to meet the community and talk about this issue of CPS reform and Uh CPS overreach. MZ, the story that you just heard from Fox is not an uncommon story. Unfortunately, And you're hearing a family that had tremendous loss and tremendous grief and a family that was struggling with some very serious issues, the last thing that they needed was for CPS to come in and take and separate family members because they were struggling and having issues. But sadly, this is something that occurs over and over again because when you understand, MZ, how the system works and where it fails, you can see that this is something that plays out all the time. Um, In our culture, CPS... There is a practice, a practice that I refer to in my book as ghost authoring and human shielding. It's where we take information 
that comes from a social worker who actually has connection and involvement with the family. Yeah. And then that information is given to a supervisor administrator. Well, they're going to take that information and they're going to develop an impression, take a position. And regardless of the truth and the facts and the actual observations by the social worker, they'll take their opinion of the information and decide, you know what, we need to go this direction. And regardless of whether or not this direction is, which could be the removal of the child, regardless of whether or not that's in the best interest of the child or the family, they decide that's the position they're going to take because of their impression and their opinion. They will set aside the actual recommendation and, and opinion of the social worker that had the contact. The social worker can say, you know what, the family's just struggling. They're having a hard time. It's a difficult situation that they're in. You know what? Let's provide services. Let's help to stabilize this family. The social worker and supervisor can decide, you know what? No, I don't think we're going to do that. I have this other impression. And based on my impression, we're going to go this other direction. I so think there we need are to no take a child. And, there are no checks and balances in no, the system at all. There is a lack of integrity. There is a lack of transparency and accountability that you wouldn't believe, MZ. Social workers will often share a common refrain. They'll say, you know what, I had no choice. When they find out what actually is written in the report and what actually gets submitted to court, the family members will say, why is this in the report? Why didn't you actually say what really happened? And that refrain will be spoken over and over again by that poor social worker. I had no choice. My hands were tied. I was told I needed to recommend this. I needed to make this decision. So you see, even MC, though their recommendation was inconsistent the was with their direct observations and experience of the family, that's outrageous. And it happens all the time. That's why we I call it ghost authoring. The people that actually decide what eventually ends up in a report and the actual recommendations are people that never see the light of day. They're in the shadows. They don't represent it in court as my decision. They do what I call human shielding, something the terrorists do where they don't represent it themselves, they have that social worker go in there and swear in court, this is my finding, this is my decision, this is what I saw when it really wasn't in many cases. And right now the system... Bold-faced lies. It happens all the time. And Why? We, and we don't... Why? What's the purpose? You know, I get asked that over and over again, and there's a couple of different reasons. Um, I entitled the book, or my co-author and myself, who is Melinda Murphy, by the way, we co-authored the book, A Culture of Fear, for a very good reason. The system is driven by fear, fear and crises. Everybody is so afraid of being terminated or being labeled insubordinate and then being threatened with potential uh, termination or suspension that they are willing to give in to the mantra that you hear over and over again. We speak with one voice. You represent the department. But no one tells that social worker that once you walk into a court of law and raise your hand, the department's not going to be there behind you. you. You're representing in a court of law legally that it's your finding when in actuality you're being directed why, to Why say, would anybody sit still for that, even under fear of losing his or her job? Why would anybody sit still for anything so outrageous? Because the fear of losing your job and not being able to provide for your own is intense. All right. We have I am hoping yes. that somewhere out there in the audience today, yes. there are two people that yes. I hope will call in. Okay. One of them, I hope, is a social worker that okay. you're, who was told to say something okay. and then not backed up. 
told to say something that was not true, mm-hmm. okay, and that was not backed up. And the other uh, call I, I hope we will get sometime in this two-hour program will be from uh, an agency supervisor. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath for that call, but I will be very, very grateful if that call comes in. You know, you know, MZ. Um, I recently retired, um, and and before I did, um, I had spent almost 18 and a half years working in arguably the largest CPS agency in the world, Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. And I can tell you, even before I left, I had a uh, relatively new worker just out of the academy come up to me and say, with anguish on her face, Jerry. My supervisor put, in a, uh, put a report in front of me and said, you need to sign this. And the worker said, yeah, but I don't know what this is, and I've never seen the family. Oh, it's okay. You're assigned to it, and you need to sign it. Just read it so that you're familiar with it. Now, that worker on probation, brand-new worker, is thinking, well, I'm on probation. I, I cannot disagree. I cannot be insubordinate. I'm still on probation. I could be fired. Now, this is a a relatively new young worker, and this is now her first impression, that she's being told to sign something she knows nothing about, represent it, and then have to live with the fear that if she disagrees, she's insubordinate. And this is how we're starting off a new worker in her life, in this culture. So now she is developing the impression, okay, so I guess integrity and truth-telling is not the big priority it's agreeing with my boss or their boss because we don't know who the actual author is. That's why they're called ghost authors or phantom authors. Is it a supervisor? Is it an administrator? Is it the county council that represents the agency? And there's tremendous overreach with county council. Oh, so you man. never know who's driving the report and the actual recommendations. The last time I was on radio recently, I challenged the department and all departments to create a policy that says, Anyone that has any undue influence on a report that they must represent it and allow the worker to recuse themselves if it is contrary to their finding. Now, I assure you, MZ, if these individuals come out of the shadows and have to represent it and sign their name and have to go into court and explain, Your Honor, I actually directed the content of the material in that report and made the recommendations because of, and then they're going to have to explain, MZ, something really, really challenging. I made a recommendation even though I've never met the human beings. I've never seen them interact with the children. And they're going to have to explain how they felt okay in doing that. Because that's the common practice, MZ. Author, ghost authoring, and human shielding. And there's a fundamental truth that we're supposed to have in our legal system of jurisprudence. And that fundamental principle is we have a right to face our accusers. Well, these families, where, this, where the, the cards are stacked against them, go into court, and you can't even face your accusers because they're not present. They're using the social workers as human and shields. And in some cases, they're ethereal. And un- they're un- ethereal. Yeah, like, like the um, terrorists. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, they're not, and so you see a lack of, of transparency. There is no accountability because the individuals aren't even there. And, and recently, um, there was an individual, uh, an editor for a paper called The Political Observer out of Antelope Valley who called the department and challenged him with this very issue. And you know what the department said, MZ? The department came back and said, you know what? Our administrators have a right to change a report if they feel it's appropriate. 
But what they didn't say was, what are they basing that ride on, MZ? What criteria are they using other than the facts and the truth? And why is it that they don't feel a responsibility to actually look those human beings in the eye before they make that final decision and order what goes into a report and the recommendations? Why isn't they're not held accountable to that, MZ? What do you think is the answer to that question? I think the answer is something I wrote in my book, A Culture of Fear. I challenged the department to create a policy that says something very simple. Anyone that has any undue influence on a report must sign it, must represent it, and allow the social worker to step back and recuse themselves if it disagrees with their findings. And then they will have to go to court and say, you know what, Your Honor, this is why... I decided that this is what's going to go into a report and what the recommendations are going to be about the removal of a child or returning a child. Now, I assure you, MC, if these individuals are forced out of the shadows and have to represent it, this practice will almost come to a screeching halt. So what has to happen for that to happen? For that to happen, the directors of these departments, whether it's DCFS, the one I worked for in Alley County, or any other jurisdiction, the directors would have to decide, you know what, we have to recommit ourselves to integrity. We have to recommit ourselves to doing the right thing in the best interest. So we are now going to change our policy. Even though maybe I don't personally know about it, I'm not sure it's happening with that kind of frequency, but if it's happening at all, we are going to change a policy and we are going to initiate and implement a policy that starts today. Absent that, we need legislation. We need legislation from our state legislators. We need it on a federal level that says... You know, CPS is failing. CPS is not protecting our children and our communities and our families. In many cases, it is doing quite the opposite. It is harming, it is damaging, it is devastating families in a way that's destroying the credibility of CPS. And MZ, if you destroy the credibility of MCS, are you not, a CPS rather, are you not putting children in harm's way? Because if you don't trust the very system designed to help... People aren't going to call in and use it. Right. So right. now you're putting kids in harm's way. So MZ, we need the change to happen now. Recently, DCFS had a Blue Ribbon Commission that was appointed to overlook the system of arguably the largest CPS agency in the world. And after a year, MZ, review, you know what they concluded? Uh-uh. That that CPS with L.A. County is in a state of emergency and there is an absolute systemic failure and that our kids are more unsafe than safe. Okay. Is there, is there, uh, and you say this, this happens all over. It happens all over. Is there, is there a CPS agency that you know of in California or in some other state that you would like to um, uh, point to as a model? For other agencies. You know, I'd like to say I, I know of one, and and I don't. I do know, however, that you hear about these problems and other systemic failures across the country with CPS. Somewhere along the line, something happened, and and we took a wrong turn, and and we ended up in a place where we're, we're well-intentioned people, and for the most part, I think social workers and people that work in the industry care and try their best. But because of these systemic failures, because the culture is so deeply ingrained with these practices, it's going to take a a massive, a a comprehensive 
review and an overhauling of the system to get back to the purpose of the system. Um, one of the, the other failings that we've seen systemically is we've stepped back from using community and faith-based groups to be part of the decision-making process, to take a look at what's going on with families. And whenever we step back from using community and faith-based, we rely on power and control to work with families. Well, CPS doesn't work when we use power and control, MZ. CPS works when we empower people, when we work with people, so when we enlist people. That's how everything should work properly. Um, the uh, voice you're hearing is that of Jerry Dominguez, who is a co-author of the book called The Culture of Fear, an inside look at L.A. County's Department of Child and Family Services, also known as uh, CPS, Child Protective Services. Um, we also have Fox Sloan, who has been a victim of uh, Santa Cruz County Child Protective Services Agency. Um, and I believe we have uh, a third guest today uh, who is named Karen uh, Johnson, uh, who is an attorney from the Walnut Creek area. Um, uh, I believe she is also working on a book here in, on this topic. Let's bring Karen on. Welcome her to the KSCO Saturday special. Hi, Karen. Uh, got you there on the, on the phone? Yeah. Yes, you do. Good morning. Hi, welcome to KSEO. What kind of an attorney are you? Presumably you specialize in, depend, in defending people like um, uh, Fox Sloan who have to bring actions against the uh, government agencies. Am I correct? Uh, well, mainly what I do is for many years I practiced criminal defense, but also I also practice uh, child dependency law. And my child dependency practice completely took off, and it's 100% right now of what I do. So I represent families, parents, uh, grandparents, sometimes foster parents. When CPS is trying to remove the child from the foster parents for some reason, and I represent them in court all over the state. Um, and you've been doing this how long? About I think 20 years now. You, you sort of just sort of evolved into it, I guess, huh? Yes, it it just became. Uh, frankly, my passion. I saw so much um, ludicrousy, frankly, in what was happening that I, I just became very passionate about it and just, you know, turned it on and, and tried a lot of cases and filed a lot of appeals and argued a lot of appeals in front of the appellate courts, and that's what I continue to do today. Well, um I don't mean to sound jaded here, and I realize I'm going to, but back in 1988, um, I was doing a program on this station before I owned the radio station, about three years before, and it was called the CPR Talk Show, Citizens for Planning Reform Talk Show. And uh, back then, the planning departments in both the city and the county of Santa Cruz, and to, and to a, probably to a lesser degree, Monterey County, uh, had reputations for being uh, uh, overbearing, uh, unreasonable, uh, outrageous, and um, uh, out of control. <laughs> and there was just a, talk about not being allowed to um, face your accuser. Uh, you know, people who who wanted to rat on their neighbor for something, whether it was true or not, were protected from ever being you know, reveal their names and identities revealed. 
And I thought that was so absurd, uh, you know, that we I became part of a of an organization that we named. My father came up with a group with a group named CPR, Citizens for Planning Reform, and um, we used the talk radio uh, facilities here at KSCO. KSCO had just had it wasn't even a talk radio station back then in 1988. It was a music station, but the the one of the partners of the of the company, the broadcast company that owned this, a man named J.J. Jeffrey, who's a good friend of mine, I said, you know, J.J., you need to have a talk show on that station to right wrongs. You know, he said, well, you got an idea? I said, yeah, I do, <laughs> for sure. You know, we, the, the, we ought to do a program about the planning department and how it terrorizes people. And there are more agencies. There are more and more government agencies. More recently, Dr. Bill Wattenberg and I... Uh, have have advanced uh, the stories of of National Oceanic Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration NOAA and the, and the um, California Coastal Commission. The, these are all examples of of and I and I hate to say it. How long ago was 1988? You know, 98, 2008, 26 years ago. Is it is it improved at all, or has it only gotten worse? I mean, our radio show that we did back then didn't do squat to fix it, to help it. Really? I mean, I, I hate to say it. I like to think that we had some sort of a positive effect. I'd like to think we're having some sort of a positive effect today. You know? Um, Karen, do you, do you know, um, you're an attorney, so um, isn't there some sort of a... Um, citizens initiative i mean if if the government won't you know do something to prevent these kinds of abuses so that they may so that if they become unlawful which apparently they're not can't some something be done to make these abuses illegal well i've had i've had a couple of thoughts on this and like like i said i am um, writing a book, just a book to help parents who are in the system who maybe don't have um, enough contact with their court-appointed attorney, can't afford a private attorney, to help them navigate through what they're dealing with when they see things and can't understand why. For example, when Jerry said that um, things were in, the, in reports and parents might be asking, why is this in there? Um, if they don't have enough time to talk to their free county lawyer, this book might help navigate and answer some questions regarding that as they're dealing with it. But some of the concepts and ideas that I've been um, thinking about, I think Jerry had mentioned, is legislation. But one thing I was thinking of is um, a social worker um, code of ethics. So attorneys um, have a code of ethics, and we have to abide by those ethics. And if we violate them, we have to explain why. We're reported. We have to explain why, or we have to report ourselves. And uh, the social workers don't have that. No, you know, Karen, I I included a section about uh, a code of ethics and a standard of conduct in my book, and and you're exactly right on. There really isn't that. And uh, to go along with that, there's even an identity crisis when it comes to social workers. They're not even sure who they are. They don't know if they're pseudo-detectives pseudo-cops, informants, or community supporters. So you're right. There's there's a need for that code to provide some kind of basis and guideline and how they're supposed to comport themselves and what really is their role when they work with the community. 
yeah, they they have no there's no accountability. So when when you don't have accountability, you you just run wild because no one's watching. How do you make accountability where there is no accountability? You have to insist that all the parties that represent a report be held to a standard that says you must appear. You must be present in court. You can no longer use other people as a human shield like a social worker. You have to somehow change well, that the system. Seems easy enough. And, and well, that, that would really address a lot of it, MZ, because if they have to appear, I assure you, uh, things will change. The, the internal problem with that is, well, the supervisor is just going to say, well, I didn't have any input in that, so I, didn't, I don't have to appear. But in every report, a social worker signs, their supervisor also signs. So you know who they are. So when you litigate cases, if you really want to, if you really think something like that is going on, you subpoena both parties, both the social worker and the supervisor. But then the bad, the, the unfortunate side of that is that now you have two of them banning together on the same exact opinion. Now you've got two exact people saying the same thing because a subordinate is going to say what the supervisor yeah, yeah, legally that's not going to help you represent a client because now you, right. you have to deal with two people. So it, right. it doesn't help. That's right. why we somehow have to get back to the, the point of uh, first acknowledging that ghost authoring takes place. We, we have to start there. If we, if, we don't, if we don't sell that reality, then we can't take the next step that has to be taken to force them to appear in court. And, and that first step is going to be the real hurdle. How do we now... Uh, shine a light on that practice and say it's actually taking place? Well, I'll tell you, in court, in, during litigation, you have a social worker on the stand, and you say, I'll just put it simply, you know, what's your opinion about, let's just say, returning the child to the parent? Normally you don't ask that kind of question, but let's just say that's the question. The social worker will say, well, the department recommends that the ch child should be kept in foster care. And then they won't say I, they'll say the department and then you'll say, well, who's the department? Does this person have arms and legs? And give me their name. And they will not divulge their name, and the court won't make them. Yeah, this is the same problem we have when we hear the, uh, you know, that expression, a corporation is a person. Uh, it's as silly as that. And right. the question that attorneys need to ask is, is this your personal opinion based on your observations, or is this the department's position and who in the department took that position? We have to flush out that issue and ask that question so that we can discern and establish, is this based on the social worker's observation or the opinion and the impression of someone else? We have to get asked that question and we have to stay on that point until it becomes clear, okay, now we're dealing with an impression of someone other than the social worker. If we can get over that hurdle, the next obvious question, necessary question is, did that person who had that impression, that developed an opinion, have any contact with the human beings? Did they actually see the caretakers? Did they actually see the children? Did they see the interaction between the caretakers and the children? And, of course, that answer is going to be no. The next question will be, well, then, how can you make a finding? How can you develop an impression if you've never seen the human beings that you feel comfortable about that is going to have far-reaching implications for this family and possibly remove a child? Do you feel that is responsible and ethical? 
If we could ever get that line of questioning out into the open and shine a light on that, sure, that would bust this open. It sure seems that it should be easy enough. You would think so. Yeah, you would think so. But the problem is the courts often the court are very sympathetic to the department's position, CPS's position. Right. And because the system is so overburdened with referrals, investigations, judges will tell you they don't have time. You know, a judge walks into court MZ in the morning, and they have a stack of reports that's probably about five to six feet high, no exaggeration. Their job is to take their docket and those reports and somehow be able to read all that information to understand the complexities of each situation and then know enough to intelligently listen to whatever they're listening to. And they know they're not getting the real story because they know about ghost authoring and then render these decisions and these findings. We want to give you, uh, KSEO listeners, to the Saturday special today featuring a discussion of the abusive um, child protective services agencies in the state of California and presumably elsewhere to uh, call us. We're going to open the phone lines now, 479-1080. That's in Area 831. The email address is mz at ksco.com. We would like very much for you to participate if you are listening and have something to contribute, uh, particularly if you are, what did you call it, a ghost what? Ghost, ghost authoring ghost. and human shielding. Yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if you're a ghost uh, author or someone who subscribes to human shielding here as described <laughs> by Jerry Dominguez here, author of A Culture of Fear, co-author along with uh, Melinda McCarthy, or M- Melinda Murphy rather, uh, we invite you to please call 479-1080. Uh, I'm, I'm being s- semi-facetious here, obviously, but I, I do want participation from anybody who wants to chime into this uh, very serious conversation. 479-1080. Yeah, go ahead, Sloan. Um, Fox, I, Fox, I, I would like Fox. to echo what uh, both Karen and Jerry have been saying is when I walked into court for the first time, no matter what was said outside in the hallway as to... Um, my um, son-in-law's father, um, the bio dad of my oldest children, um, myself, and um, I believe there was someone else there. They were all, we were all together that the children needed to come home with me right away. We walked into court after the attorneys for minor counsel and for my daughter and the bio dad um, heard what was being said. Um, all of a sudden, everything just did a total backflip, and it was. Um, it is the department's and council's recommendation that the children remain in foster placement, and I was gobsmacked. And I realized at that point in time that I didn't have a snowball's chance. The children didn't have a chance. Everything had already been decided before we walked into that courtroom. And that's an important point, MZ that you see these impressions, these opinions, based on speculation, based on inferences that are drawn by these ghost authors, they carry the weight. They end up making the decisions in court. And family members are so frustrated and clearly devastated. And fundamental questions are never asked. And when you read the report, Samzi, it's very clear. You'll never hear in report, did the child, was a child asked if she loved the caretaker? Was the caretaker asked if... They, he or she loved the child. 
Do they have a bonded relationship? You'll never hear these questions. In fact, in reports, you'll never even hear reference to the fact that there is familial connection. You won't read words like his daughter, her daughter, her granddaughter. You'll hear the minor. So right away, the emphasis is not placed on whether or not they have bonded relationships, whether or not they have family connections that are important and relevant to any potential jurisdiction or taking of the child. The emphasis is placed on indictment of the person based on subjective criteria, not on the facts and the truth. And it's incredible when you read these reports. Let's go to our first caller. That would be Ann in Westside Santa Cruz. Welcome to the Saturday special, Ann, with Fox Sloan, Jerry Dominguez, uh, Karen Johnson, and MZ, you're on the air. I just wanted to tell you, I don't know if anybody ever watches Governor Huckabee's show, but twice he has had this on that parents had a child diagnosed with a genetic disease. She got the flu. She was she was ice skating. She was this cute little girl. They took her to the hospital where she'd been diagnosed with the genetic disease. The doctor who did it was no longer there. They transferred her to another hospital, said that the child should not be on this medicine, that the family was abusing her, and the hospital has had her for a year and a half, and they have never had a visit to the parents' home or let the parents see the child. Now she can see they can see her maybe once a month or talk to her. She can now walk, and she's in dilapidated state. And this is what, in the East Coast, they've done to this family. That's Justina. She was also on Dr. Phil. So anyway, that was – no, this was, this was on uh, Governor Huckabee. That it's a little girl. She was 11 or 12 years old. They said she didn't have a genetic disease, took her off the medicine, and she's totally disintegrated. And the parents cannot get her back. And that's all I'm going to say. It's, it's absolutely absurd. All right. Thank you, Ann, in uh, Westside Santa Cruz. That opens up the line at 479-1080 in Area 831. <clears throat> um, <laughs> it's the KSCO Saturday special with cell phones going off. Uh, Ma, Ma, can you answer that elsewhere, please? Okay. Um, Richard in San Jose will be our next caller. Um, that will be um, uh, Richard. You're on the air. Hi. Um, what you're describing has been going on for a very long time. We had a big problem here, still do in San Jose. In the '90s, there were a lot of groups that fought in Sacramento. They they know it. It's an old issue. But what may help you is we got something passed called AB 1355, and that was against social workers. And that has to do if they lie and misrepresent themselves or the evidence, and people lose their children. And then a lot of times the children will be harmed in these shelters or wherever they stick them. And it took over 10 years to get that passed, and that was signed by Governor Pete Wilson as he was leaving. And... Thousands and thousands of people around California working together for years finally got that passed. It was introduced year after year and shot down. The social workers would show up. They're a huge force. And uh, they would allow literally dozens of them to approach the podium to speak. But you were limited to two or three people. And you're, you're set up against this giant machine. That its main job is to cover its tracks and cover up what they do. And the courts are complicit, as these lawyers know. And they just want to let them have the final say 
And many times the judge will say, I'm not a psychiatrist. I leave that up to them. And there's ways you're supposed to go against the social worker to the behavioral board, which is a waste of time. So when this bill was passed, especially here, where it's probably the worst in all of California, this broke real fear in them, and they backed off. But you have to know this right to claim it. You have to educate yourself, and you need a huge support group with you, whether it be family or friends or community, holding meetings, and uh, you just have to band together, educate yourselves in the law, and go after them, and they don't want to discuss things, and many times when you get too close to the truth, they'll dismiss the court, let people out, because they don't want to hear what evidence you're producing. They don't want that heard. So when you realize that, then you understand that it isn't just a few bad social workers. This is systemic. This is absolutely oh, wait a second here. This is absolutely systemic and everything you're saying is so spot on. And even when parents come into the courts and uh show their emotions which are incredibly natural, their their outrage, their fear for the child, their anxiety, their stress, what this system does in most cases is pathologize their normal reactions. They simply say, Okay, this is an indication the parent is unstable. They're, they're not entirely rational. Look, they're, they're so upset they can't even handle these discussions. And your normal reactions will be used against you. They'll be pathologized. I'm also a licensed clinician. And uh, I've seen the devastation to the children and the families. I have seen diagnoses manifest themselves not because of what the caretaker did when the child is with the family, but because of the separation and because of the trauma that resulted from the separation and prolonged disconnection from their family and their family system, the devastation to children over time is is just profound, profound. Um, and what you're talking about, caller, and thank you for calling in, the need to educate yourself is absolutely critical. But when you go into court, sadly, you almost have to take a very stoic position because if you show any emotion... You will be mischaracterized. You will be mislabeled. You will be called someone that uh, obviously is not stable because, my goodness, you're having such a strong reaction and you're so angry. Clearly, you need anger management classes. And it gets ridiculous. And they recommend three things in every case. Uh, That's why a case will go on for at least 10 years. Oh, my goodness. A case can go on and on. And for those families that have been through this, for children that have never been to even a sitter very much, to be suddenly removed and then denied your 14th and 4th Amendment rights, a family connection, and have that happen over an extended period is a devastation and a scarring of that child psychologically and physically that you can't even fathom. I've had cases well, where I've had kids... more than are helped. The children are hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, the children are absolutely devastated. They commit suicide sometimes. They try to run away a lot. Um, and um, they used to. They don't have it no more. But we got a lot done in the 90s. Now I see it's all reversed. But how did, well, why, don't you do what you, why don't you do what you did then again if you got something you done mean? in the 90s? Yeah, I I mean, mean, you know what I'm saying. What he got done was terrific and great. But the problem with assembly bills or Senate bills, 
that in the moment it feels really good, but it doesn't change the systemic issues. It doesn't change the culture, and it certainly doesn't change the practice. The parties involved, the, the, the CPS agencies, the dependency courts, there is such an insulation, a lack of accountability or transparency that you can't see permanent course corrections until you uncover these very fundamental truths and failures like the ghost authoring, until you can really bring that into the light well, you, of day. You've done it, you know, and, and I guess you got to be on more talk shows like this. I I, I've done it, and, and it's just the start of the discussion. If right. you read the book, it's meant as a, an opportunity just to start talking about it, MC. Let's just be honest and be real and talk about it so we can all have a CPS system that works because kids do get abused. And neglected. We need a functional CPS system in every jurisdiction, every community, but not one that lacks the trust of not only the communities, but the workers themselves don't trust the system, uh-huh. MZ. They don't. All right. Hey, I want to thank I, Richard I and San Jose for your call. Go ahead, uh, Karen. I, I, do, I do want to tell you that that's right. So every time I have a client come in the courtroom, tell them, don't react. Sit there like a statue. Whatever you do, they'll yes. use it against you. Yep. So, so when when a family came into court and the judge, I could, I knew the judge was going to take these children out of this, the parents' arms in, in the courtroom because I saw the extra bailiffs. So when the children were removed from the parents by the court's order, and the parents were devastated and were fighting and crying for and begging them not to take their children. Everybody in the courtroom when they left started talking about how crazy those parents were and those crazy parents and. You know, I just looked at him and said, you know, shame on you. That's a sign of health. If they, that is a sign that of means health. they loved their children. You, and they were fighting with exactly everything they had in their be. system to prevent their children from being kidnapped based but on Webster's definition. The parents are, are, were crazy and they're out of control. And, you know, sh- I was shame on you. That's exactly a, right. what you want to see. Uh, we, we have a couple of other callers we want to get to before the top of the hour. Uh, uh, Becky in Sacramento, uh, I'm waiting for eight minutes. You're on the air on KSCO. Thanks for waiting. Hi, thank Hi. you, and hello, Karen. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted you are. to comment. <laughs> First, I want to say that I totally agree. I've been a social worker in CPS for 14 years, and. I so agree with what's being said, and to comment on the accountability, the problem in other states, they license caseworkers, social workers, to do casework. But in California, there has been legislation that's been um, addressed, and the CWDA, Child Welfare Directors Association, turns it down, saying we don't need that. Well, what would happen is the social workers would have to have accountability. They'd have to have master's degrees. And in the more rural counties, they hire people with no to little education, with no experience, going into these family homes and affecting the kids in a negative way. So that's one thing I wanted to address. The other thing is I broke out of child welfare to work with attorneys in the system to go in and help families understand the system and what social workers are addressing with them. 
MZ, um, she's talking about workers that realize we now need to protect families from the system. And after you work in the system a while, that's part of your motivation to stay in the system is to help protect families from the system. Exactly. Well, they, need, the they system, need to have their own organization, it sounds like, you know, to me. Well, uh, I've actually started public a Public service announcements on radio stations and TV stations. Right. Not. Yeah, that should, should be right. part, of all, part and parcel. All right, Becky. So going into TDM meetings and and listening to social workers who use language they don't even understand themselves. Right. Hey, I want to thank you for your call to the Saturday special. Yeah, Becky thank you. in Sacramento. Here go, here's uh, Tammy in um, from California Child Coalition. Um, Tammy, is this the Tammy we know? Yes, it is. Hi, everybody. Hey, How Tammy. are you? Hi, pretty Loving good, this show. It's really great. You're it's all unfortunate we have to have such a show for you to love. I know. Yeah. I know. It definitely is. I had a question for Becky. She sounded so upbeat, very much like Jerry, and so proactive in bringing this to the public's attention. I wish I could have asked her if she was willing to take as much of a public proactive stand as Jerry has taken. Um, but I suppose we'll see in in a in the very near future how many well, I would social think workers so. actually she's writing step a book, up. Right. So. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. But what is she doing right now while she's working in the system? Do they continue to submit because they don't want to lose their jobs? That's what we hear so much. You know, That's they don't the free like lawyers it. do. Right. That's what the free lawyers, the county lawyers, they just submit. They're afraid. They're scared. If they call a witness, if they call an expert, they'll likely lose their job. Because they're costing money and time. Absolutely, absolutely. I know an attorney, MZ that's uh, worked uh, privately to help families. And in 22 years, this attorney has only had minors' attorney disagree twice with taking jurisdiction. Twice in 22 years. So is is that incredible, MZ? Yes, it is incredible. I'm the, I'm the opposite like lawyer. Everything I do goes to trial. I, I try everything. I put the social workers on the stand. I make them answer the question. When they say the department, I make them tell me, who is the department? Name the person. Who do I have to ask these questions to? Yeah, who does the mantra we speak with one voice actually represent? All right, Tammy from uh, California Child Coalition, thanks for calling the Saturday special. We are at the end of hour number one, and there's an hour straight ahead. Boy, did that go by fast. Stay with us right up until noontime after uh, our break for the 11 o'clock news right here on KSCO Santa Cruz, Salinas, Monterey, San Jose. It's 11 a.m. CBS News, I'm Pam Coulter. There's more fallout for GM for the company's failure to take action on a deadly ignition switch problem fast enough. Some critics say the $35 million federal fine is not enough. CBS's Mark Albert has more. The company had said at least 13 people have died in crashes linked to this problem. But trial lawyers that are now suing the company say the death toll is more than four times that much. More than 50 people died, according to the lawsuits, because of this defect. That is a huge liability that General Motors will have to face in court. With Memorial Day coming up, Arizona Senator John McCain is calling attention to problems at the VA. In the GOP's weekly address, he says action is needed to address allegations that some vets died while waiting for care. What's needed is a total refocusing of the VA on its core mission of serving veterans, stretching from its top political leadership 
all the way through to its career civil servants. In his address, President Obama called on Congress to pass a transportation funding bill saying it's good for business. We know business owners don't seek out crumbling roads and bridges and backed up supply chains. They set up shop where the newest, fastest, most convenient transportation and communications networks let them invent and sell goods made in America to the rest of the world as fast as possible. CBS News has confirmed the president will nominate San Antonio Mayor Julian Castro to run HUD when current Secretary Sean Donovan heads to OMB. Firefighters have put out most of the blazes that blackened 20,000 acres around San Diego. CBS's Ben Tracy says the weather is cooperating. The weather is improving every day. Today is going to be in the mid-80s with uh, much calmer winds, cooler temperatures. And by Tuesday, we're looking at highs in the mid-60s here, and that's a full 35 degrees cooler than it was earlier this week. Sixty years ago today, the Supreme Court passed the handed out the landmark Brown versus Board of Education ruling that desegregated the nation's schools. CBS's Andrew Cohen. The story 60 years later is how much segregation has returned to public schools, how entrenched the opposition is uh, even today to ensure that minority students and white students are afforded the same educational opportunities. And I guess that shows that there truly are some things that judges or the law can't change. Will the Derby winner make it two for two at the Preakness today? As they ready the track at Pimlico, the name of the Kentucky Derby winner, California Chrome, is the horse that has everyone talking. Uh, No competition. Uh, It's a weak uh, field. And you think he's going to be a triple crown winner? Yeah, I think so, actually. I think this is the year. Chrome. I think Chrome's got to be the winner, right? Well, he smoked everybody the last time, and I don't think that there's a lot of horses that can compete with him. The last time there was a Triple Crown winner affirmed in 1978. Phil Yakabuski for CBS News, Baltimore. Rather than go to a military base in Maryland or Virginia, President Obama is golfing today at the invitation-only Robert Trent Jones course in Gainesville, Virginia. This is CBS News. MSNBC presents Growing Hope. When a voice is empowered to action, when a light shines on equality and justice, the seed of hope is sown. It drives you to tackle the hard stuff, to stop gun violence, protect voter rights, to fight so that everyone has access to health care, and make sure no one falls through the cracks. As hope grows, so does the power of people. Learn more at msnbc.com slash growing hope. What do you mean you got there exactly on time? Ever since we started using Fleetmatics to keep track of our trucks and vans, our business has been running really smoothly. Are you telling me you've cut your fuel costs? The boss doesn't have anything to yell about anymore, but some habits are hard to break. Oh, great. Another call from a happy customer. Fleetmatics takes the drama out of business. Make fleet tracking more intelligent with real-time tracking, fuel monitoring, and more. Visit fleetmatics.com start or call 1-877-350-DEMO for intelligence at work. You're listening to KSCO AM 1080 Santa Cruz and KOMY AM 1340 La Selva Beach Watsonville. Four minutes past 11 a.m. on Saturday, May 17, 2014. 70 degrees at KSCO Studios. Your friendly voice, Aaron Chober, your local King of the Hill traffic and Central Coast weather brought live to you. Shortly before 10:30 this morning. At 17 northbound at Mount Hermon Road, a animal or a dog seemed to be immobile. It looks like a passenger or a driver threw a dog out of the car. Units have cleared the scene as of moments ago. The it is unknown if the animal was retrieved alive or not. 
Also, just in the summit area of 17 in the southbound direction, a vehicle we had a report of was on fire by one of our callers. All drivers are told to proceed with caution. Again, there is a vehicle we are told on fire at Highway 17 southbound near the summit area. Your northern Monterey Bay Central Coast weather forecast for today, continuing with sunshine breaking through fully. In the early afternoon, highs said to be reaching the mid-70s. South winds around 5 miles per hour will be drifting westbound 5 to 10 miles per hour this afternoon. Again, you have it tuned in to KSCO AM 1080 and KOMY AM 1340. It is approaching 6 minutes past 11 a.m., Stay tuned for hour number two of the Saturday Special with your host, MZ. Saturday Special is brought to you by Los Animas Concrete and the California Grill in Freedom. Oh, hi, Aaron. Hello. I won't bother to ask you if you're enjoying the program. How can you enjoy a program like this? I find it intriguing because I was a member of the foster care system. Really? Tell me more. Um... Not to go into too much detail, but um, my mother got into alcohol quite a bit when I was younger. And uh, just uh, problems at school, and it got to be where I didn't have one uh, either place to go that was necessarily healthy. And uh, my grandparents actually were the ones that pulled me out of of the home and put me in foster care placement for a while. Um, I have to say... From my experience, it there there are cracks in every system, and I think, at least it's been my experience here in Santa Cruz that I I enjoyed hearing what one one of the callers had to say is that they social workers really don't know know what their title is in a sense of they don't know if they're supposed to be chasing after somebody, or you know advocating for them the next and. It's been nothing but my experience that anybody I've ever met in Santa Cruz County has been nothing but good people. I mean, and and I'm sorry to see you know hear of this unfortunate incident. You know, I and that's the other thing too. When you are a member of the foster care system, you learn your case, even though it may be very similar to other people's, it is oftentimes very different, none the same. Um, it's a case-by-case thing, and especially per situation, you know, you have to treat it as such. I think that um, – I really do think that people should actually – I don't know, not go undercover, but spend a day with uh, being being around the foster care system and, and learning to see what it's all about and what social workers have to do. Because, you know, aside from incidences like this that have – again, which is unfortunate that it happened – I think people it would give them a good insight as to uh, what what goes on. I do. That beep that you just heard was Karen hanging up. I figured as much. And, and you know what? Yeah, I, I should have had a, the setting a little better so she could have heard something other than dead air. Do you have the phone number for her? I do not. Oh, okay. Because well, she was nice enough to call us back. So, Karen, if you're listening, could you please give us a call? Uh, something tells me. <laughs> oh, God. It's all the way this, this the station is wired, uh, just the way it has to be here. There's no station quite like KSCO anywhere in the country or the world or the planet or the 
And yeah, yeah, go, yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Aaron, thank you for sharing that. And that, that's a very personal story, an intimate story. And I appreciate that. Um, and you're right. Um, social workers are in a real quagmire when it comes to their identity. There's truly an identity crisis when it comes to that worker. And because we don't seem to have a real concrete set of morals and values and ethics, Social workers are left to guess, well, who am I today? Am I that pseudo-detective? Am I that pseudo-cop? What is my role and what is my goal? And for the foster child, it's confusing because they're out of home. They're with individuals other than family members or people that may love them and care about them, and they're trying to make sense of this whole experience. And these workers come in, and often there are many workers and you're not really sure who that person is in relation to me, and do they really care? Are they interested? Are they taking time to hear me and know me? And and oftentimes, social workers are so overloaded and understaffed that they're merely counting fingers and toes. And I bet, Aaron, that you never really got a chance to know your worker, and they really never got a chance to know you and hear you, that sometimes it may have felt like you were simply being warehoused and they were taking care of your basic needs, but in terms of who you were as an individual, developing, growing, trying to make sense of your situation, that probably didn't happen. There's a real myth in in child welfare, MZ, and I call it the myth of social work and child welfare. It really doesn't take place, because if you're really doing social work, authentic social work, that means you're getting to know a human being. You're getting to have... Uh, develop a sense of trust and rapport. You're actually not just listening but hearing and then helping support that individual working through, and in the case of children, growing and developing and understanding who they are as they self-identify. And when none of that takes place, I wonder, did we do that child a service in removing them from their family system or did we do them a disservice? Right. Okay, you're listening to the KSCO Saturday Special. That voice belongs to Jerry Dominguez, co-author of a, of a new book called uh, A Culture of Fear, an inside look at Los Angeles County's Department of Children's Family Services. The topic is uh, CPS, Child Protective Services uh, Agencies in general, um, and there are some pretty significant horror stories here uh, to relate. A uh, phone number for you to participate here at KSEO is 479-1080, 479-1080. That's in area code uh, 831. So if you're outside the area code uh, of 831, you will have to dial 831. I'm actually astounded that um, by this time there were, I would have expected a ton of email, emails, but not, not a one so far to uh, this program to mz at kfco.com. Uh, but we do have Karen Johnson back, and so let me bring her on and lock her in. Karen, my apologies to you. Um, you obviously hung up after spending several minutes of hearing absolutely nothing. <laughs> Is that my, am I right? Yeah, that's, that's what I did. Yeah, yeah and, what, and what was <laughs> happening is, is the, 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 the way our, our systems are wired here at KSCO uh, we had a, 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 an unscheduled uh, speech from our pilot in command, and so all during that time where you heard dead air, there was it was actually Aaron talking from the other studio, but you could not hear it. So anyhow, thank you for calling back. 
Um, and uh, Karen Johnson is an attorney uh, from Walnut Creek specializing in, what did you say? I, I know what it is, but you say it way better. So. Well, it, no, I can't say specializing in, but I do 100% child dependency law, which is representing parents, grandparents in um, child dependency courts where you've got CPS, CFS involved in your life. Okay. And we would like to hear from you, uh, anybody listening to the KSCO Saturday special, uh, either within KSCO's coverage map footprint uh, or worldwide, because we are streaming live on the web and have for many years. And by the way, this program is available on demand immediately. Well, almost immediately. I'd say within 15, 20 minutes uh, after the program concludes. And you will be able to listen to this program on demand from your smartphone or your Internet uh, connection, desktop computer, however you get on the Internet, uh, either through ksco.com or zbsradio.com. And, of course, the program will be rebroadcast tonight between the hours of 10 p.m. and midnight right here on your favorite radio station and one of if not the last remaining independently owned and operated voice radio stations in the country of the United States. I'm sure there are plenty of other independently owned operated stations, mom and pop operations, but none of them produce the um, live and local programming in such volumes as we do, and we're very, very proud of that. Uh, Let's go back to the phone lines, Uh, 479-1080. We still have a couple of lines open, starting to fill up here now. Florence in Brentwood, thanks for calling KSCO, you're on the air. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I've been a foster parent for 15 years, and I've adopted six children myself. And it's a sticky situation. I see the um, social workers come in. They are overworked and understaffed. And I see the remnants of these parents who don't know what they're doing. I actually had a good friend who lost her children to the foster care system. She was able to regain them back but she opened my eyes to the other side. And I, as a foster parent, I have attorneys. I have people who speak for me and an agency who backs me. But I have had really unstable social workers come in my house and say hideously inappropriate things to children. Where I, I, such as, I wonder... Such as, please. Such as um, a parent who was schizophrenic, tell a 12-year-old child that your mom's crazy. I, I mean, just completely inappropriate things. And when you do say something, you also get, okay, now be careful. You don't want to upset anybody and make them mad at you. I've had um, social workers threaten to take my children from me. And, you know, you love these kids. They become yours. And to have that type of a threat because you don't adhere to them, they're scheduled to show up at the children at a certain time. I mean, it's it's a crazy system. Uh, but I have seen it work well, and my payment is the love of the children, but I can tell you there are a lot of holes in it, and the social workers don't always know what they're doing. They don't know their role. You know, one of the points you brought up was about uh, how social workers are overworked and understaffed. Um, there's something that uh, that recently um, came to light, and, and we've known it for a while, the staffing issue. Um, there was a very serious and high-profile case 
that had tremendous public scrutiny about a year ago with a child named Gabriel that died in L.A. County. And uh, at the time, the staffing levels for the first responders was 62%, and they begged for staff. They begged and pleaded. We even insisted that the director from the department come down and speak to us directly, and we shared our concerns. Do you know that a year later, after that highly publicized death, that rate of 62% dropped to half? They had 17 workers at the time. They were supposed to have 30. They now have eight as the first-time responders. So when you talk about the staffing crisis and the burden of the social worker who can't possibly give the kind of service that children need and should have, as well as families, it, you know, the system, it's just, it's absolutely failing. It, it, the other, the um, other thing part of the system is that if you disagree or fight the social worker's opinion, you will be punished. They will make sure you're punished. They will crush the opposition. Do you have the right to uh, insist on another social worker? You you can you can ask for another social worker, but it's all up to the discretion of that supervisor administrator. And oftentimes they'll simply say, "Well, you have an uncooperative client, you have an uncooperative family member or parent, and that will be used against you." So like Karen is saying, that if, if you dissent or disagree or argue, even with the caller that talked about that incredibly inappropriate statement by the social worker regarding their parent, if you disagree in any way or dissent in any way, you'll find out that in your next report, it'll be reflected that you are uncooperative or that you have an issue or a problem. There are very, very, very limited um Ways to remove a social worker, they're very narrow and very limited. Anytime you request a new social worker in the last 20 years, you're never going to get a new one. You will not get a different one. You have to file papers, and there are very limited reasons to get them removed, and you have to do it with the court. Fox, your mic was off. No, I, w- I, was, I was just going to say, but the agency can change social workers if they leave or um, for any other reason, they can change them. I've talked to people who have had three different social workers within a year's time. So they get going with one person, and then all of a sudden they have to start all over with another one and then all over with a third one. Now, MZ, you know when I've seen it happen, MZ, when a social worker is swapped out? It's because that worker decided they're going to tell the truth. That worker decided that, no, this time I'm actually going to stand up on the facts and the truth. And so, then so you can see a social happen. worker removed. That's, that's reassuring it, that it happens well, at all. It, it ha- but they, it happens in support of the, the, the department's position when the department decides, you know what, this social worker is not going to go along with our mantra. We speak with one voice. We're going to remove this worker and insert a new worker that will continue to speak the party line. They, I had a shaken baby case, but so I convinced the social worker that my clients did not harm their child. It was metabolic. That social worker was gone because she agreed with us. Absolutely. Got a new social worker. That's that, when it happens. Like, yep. Where, where, did, where was the social worker gone to? 
reassigned to another. Does anybody ever check these out? Because such people would be wonderful guests to have on the state on a program like they're, this. They're reassigned to other cases. Like a bird. But I tell you, they are so afraid. They got nothing to lose because they've already lost their job. No, right? they, they don't. They, they're not gone in, in terms of being terminated. They're just simply reassigned. They're pulled off the case. And given other cases, they're not gone and terminated. Oh. No, the, these so are, are essentially silenced and simply just in pushed my, back. In my case, the social worker spoke up, and within two weeks, he resigned. And that's the risk you take, MZ, when you decide yeah. to stand up. You can you can be threatened, harassed, scrutinized to the point where you can't tolerate it anymore. And then you decide, you know what, I, I just can't do this because the doctor is telling me, hey, this is causing medical problems now, and this is unhealthy. Or their wife or their spouse or their intimate or their partner saying, you know what, you haven't slept in days and weeks. You seem to be developing post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or some other form of anxiety disorder. You can't do this anymore. And social workers will leave, quit, resign, or even worse, they will stay, but they're shut down. Absolutely shut down. And now we have yep. the walking dead. There's a huge percentage of our workforce that are the walking dead and simply going through the this motions. It's a very depressing radio program that we're putting out on KSU. What the hell can be done? Does anybody, can anybody tell me? I have been told reform, reform, reform. Legislate, get oversight. Because in, in my situation, I'm looking for someone. I was not appointed an attorney. Everybody else got an attorney, the children, the parents, everybody. I found that grandparents are marginalized, minimalized, totally discredited wherever possible. Um, and the law, my attorney that I finally did have to acquire and pay, she was wonderful. She kept me from getting arrested. And she informed me that the law works against you. And like Jerry had said earlier, don't show any emotion. And love is the greatest emotion of all. And if you cannot show people how much you love and care about your children. I mean, I know that these, um, like the county council, they must just inject their heart with Novocaine before they walk in that court. And, and, and they're there to discredit you at every turn. And this really bothers me that the law and these people that we pay their salaries with our taxes, we're paying them to go into court and lie about us and lie to us and abuse us. And so if it comes down to reform, I'm up for it, and I know a lot of other people are, and we have some great ideas. Jerry has some absolutely fantastic programs, proven programs that have worked MC, for the benefit. MZ, in my book, I talk about a program that I had the privilege to be a part of called Family Group Decision Making. Innovative and proactive. What this program did is essentially give families an opportunity to come together on their turf, hold their meeting. I was allowed to facilitate and coordinate, but during that meeting, we had something called private time, where family got a chance to create their own game plan, essentially their own case plan of how they wanted to address their situation regarding child care and concern issues with their family, their community, their faith-based supports. This plan that was created privately during this conference process went straight to court. It didn't go through a filter. It didn't go through censorship. It wasn't tampered with. It went straight to court. So now the court, for the first time, 
had the uh, the luxury of getting information directly from the family system of how they wanted to take responsibility and be accountable for their own. It was a program we ran for about seven and a half years at DCFS. It was had phenomenal success, and it was the only one, the only one that any of us can recall in decades where the family got a chance to make a family plan based on their family, their culture, their sense of love and concern for their own, and give them an opportunity to take responsibility for it. You know, MZ, you can't empower somebody or you can't empower a family unless you give up some of the power and give them the responsibility. Right now, the system using power and control gives people essentially a to-do list or else. MZ, it doesn't work. We we have uh, totally jammed phone lines now. If you're on, uh, stay on. We promise we'll get to you here. Our next caller will be Lynn in uh, Santa Cruz. Lynn, you're on the air on KSCO. Um, Yeah, I I was a foster child um, all of my life, starting in Missouri, Illinois, Kansas, Texas, and then family, uh, Santa Cruz, California. Um. I agree with the young lady on the social workers who make statements um, out loud that have us hear them as children um, regarding our biological um, parent to um, mental illness. And um, it did. I did see, because it was all of my life until I was 17 years of age, and then at that point I was in Kansas, and you're off the, you're just kind of, you're done. You're out of the system. and you really don't have anywhere what to go or what to do. But I watched my mother through the years from second grade on switch from social worker to social worker to social worker on every um, level on each time she progressed, they would reassign a new social worker. And then I watched her become what you call a runner, and that's why we moved from state to state to county to county because they – that county could no longer keep us as um, foster children to get their money. So you you are um, talking about a, a thing um, that needs to be taken care of because I don't know if this is still happening, but I do know that the social workers are removed from very important cases at a very critical time and a change that is taking place in these family units. They don't stay consistent with the mentally ill parent to make and see them through to the end because my mother would just, after three months, quit taking her medication. She's a paranoid schizophrenic. And, um, and because of, of a new worker coming in, we as the four children went to many different foster homes. I probably lived in 56 foster homes. Half of them wow. were emergency homes. Yes, it was horrible. Uh, and um, and I do feel that this is something that needs to change for the children. I um, am an older woman now. Um, mother has passed, and um, and I know social workers. My last foster home, she was a foster mother, and then became a social worker in a little town called Coffeyville, Kansas. And she told me that. Because she was a foster parent, she realized that the number one thing is to keep the family together. So in your book and what you stated, um, 
you're absolutely right. The family does need to make a plan together. The social workers do not need to be pulled out because they've made statements and, and uh, that are true to the family and true to the core of the heart of what's really happening. And and um, I, I think that the, probably the only ones in our day and age is the, the, the foster parents themselves to become social workers. But anyway, that that's all. I thank just you to very say much, thank Lynn. You. Appreciate okay. your call to the Saturday special. Next caller will be um, Jan in San Lorenzo Valley. Uh, Jan, uh, you're on the Saturday special. Hi, thank you, MZ. Um, I just want to ask a question. What kind of a country have we become that allows activities like these to happen? Shame on us. Shame. I don't think anybody will argue with you. And, and that's a rhetorical question. Thank you, Jan. Uh, here's Fred in Sonoma. You're on the KSCO Saturday special, Fred. Hi, I'm, I'm so glad that you're uh, discussing this subject. I think it is, it's of critical importance. Um, I, I am a father of a child who was taken in the hospital because I disagreed with the doctor's diagnosis. And uh, it's interesting to hear, uh, and, and, and my son was, was totally destroyed by the so-called treatment that he was subjected to, and he is permanently disabled, permanently disfigured, and massively traumatized by what was imposed on him through CPS. So the, the, the discussion is mainly centering on uh, social workers, and I, I want to say that, that it, it, it's an interesting subject, but it, it leaves out the, the overarching principle, and it's like examining a slave plantation and trying to figure out how to make better slave guards because the principle there is that slavery is morally reprehensible and taking children from their families is morally reprehensible. And, and I'm, I'm curious uh, to, your, to guess what sort of laws would you recommend be changed or, or, um, or suggested so that the, the, the vast and pervasive problems in the system can be changed so that we're actually helping children and families instead of destroying them. Caller, thank you for that, that challenge and that question about what laws we should draft and what legislation should take place. We desperately need urgent legislation that insists and imposes a requirement of absolute transparency and accountability a law that states that anybody that has any influence on the status of a child in relationship to their parent or their guardian or caretaker must be able to provide proof and evidence of any statement made, any decision that should come out of any statement. Right now, there is no transparency and no accountability. Absent that law, you're going to see situations like yours, and I'm sorry for your situation, and I'm sorry for the trauma that you and your child and family experience. But you can see that situation play out over and over again because right now the laws do not impose that kind of requirement on the parties and players involved in the process. They don't have to be transparent. They don't have to be accountable. We don't even know who they are half the time. Is it the supervisor, the administrator? Is it the the county council? We need to have legislation that uh, imposes not only that requirement but has stiff penalties whenever we take action to deprive somebody of their 14th and 4th Amendment rights, that when they do that, they have to undergo and they have to have incredible penalties that are levied against them. Otherwise, I don't see how we stop the systemic issue 
how we correct the systemic issue and change the practice. Fred and uh, Sonoma, we, um, our heart goes out to you for what you've endured and your son has endured. And we hope may, things may I? Yeah. Go, go ahead. May I, may I respond to that? Sure. There, there have been many, many laws that attempt to correct the problems in, uh, in CPS. Yet, what happens in practice is that, that certain sayings and incantations are invoked to, with the pretense of following these laws. And I'm, I'm, I really like the idea of accountability and transparency. I think that is fundamental to resolving the, this problem. But how how can that be enforced when all the other uh, prescriptions have have been um, have been overlooked and, and gone around by just by just saying the words like we're we're our, our job is to reunify the family when their actions say our job is to keep your, your family apart. But because they said we're re, re, we're reunifying your family Everything is okay. Why aren't they going to say we're transparent and, and not be transparent? Karen, I'm in, interested in your input on this uh, with the laws. Well, you know, frankly, it's just it's mass mentality through the attorneys, the courts, the social workers, the system. The only way at this point right now that you can expose what's behind their opinions, their reports, Put them on the witness stand. That's effective, but that's it. And it's, it's a few lawyers in California that, including myself, that that try these cases. That's the you only can way on you can up there and answer those questions on the witness stand. Without that, and ninety percent of the county lawyers submitting to all this stuff, it's the math cannot be changed. You have to change every every person's dynamic on There's how they look at. There's not enough of us speaking out yet. We're just actually scratching the tip of the iceberg. Like Karen said, there's a, a few attorneys that are doing this. Well, if there's only a few attorneys, could you imagine how many social workers are actually speaking out? I don't even need one hand. MZ, this is the first book written in the history of arguably the largest CPS agency in the world. Why is it the first book? The amount of fear and intimidation and potential and actual retaliation is just overwhelming. I'm hoping that this is not the first, the only book, just the first book. Right. We want to thank Fred in Sonoma for his call. Steph in Santa Cruz, you're on KSCO. Thanks for calling. Good morning, MZ. Hi. Um, I wanted to share a personal story. Go. I know it's not easy, but uh, we, we would like to hear it. Hello? Yeah. Can you hear us? Oh, sorry, yes. I was caught up in a Sacramento CPS scandal of about a decade ago, if all, if any of you remember, where it was um, revealed that the CPS workers were skewing things largely to the benefit of the fathers, and a lot of the cases had to be gone through. But when I had my visit um, in the course of a divorce and a domestic violence case, um, they came at me with a file of somebody else who had a long history of drug abuse and arrests and grilled me for about 10 minutes until they finally decided that that wasn't me. And then after that was all done, they said, gee, you seem really defensive this morning. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life because you're in such fear because you really don't know what your rights are and what and what their status is and your kids can be ripped away from you at any minute. Um, for what would have been no reason, in addition to the fact that there was compelling evidence 
in the interview with the father that we had to my attorney actually had to subpoena and compel the CPS worker to provide in the court because she was just going to gloss over that. You know, so, and, um, it's a very fear inducing situation. And when you say that you appear defensive, uh, you know what, like Karen suggested earlier, if you don't show emotion, they say, well, obviously you're not bonded and you don't have some real concern and love. But then if you show emotion, well, damn you're being defensive. You and exactly, NZ. Absolutely. That night Absolutely. cuts you both ways. Right. And I mean, I am the kind of person who can advocate for myself, and that's the only reason that I think I made it through the situation as well as I did. Um, but I can, there, you know, I didn't have a drug or alcohol problem or a mental illness problem or some of these other issues that parents are going through who need support. So I considered myself lucky to be able to make it through unscathed. Right. I you, did have a question though, if I might. Go ahead. I'm curious. I hear a lot. I have a lot of friends who are foster parents here in the county and who work in the foster system. Oh, oh, there. Steph got disconnected. Don't know how that happened. It wasn't me. My finger was nowhere near the button. I can attest to that. Yeah, uh, but uh, hopefully she'll call back. In the meantime, here's Jumana. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right in Southern California. You're on the air. Okay, yes, hi. Um, I have a question for Karen Johnson. Um, yes. I want to know how much would it cost to litigate um, a uh, uh, to have a private attorney uh, appear. Uh, in a public pointed um, case, how much would it cost, for example, a couple of hearings coming out and putting these CPS uh, workers on, on trial and helping somebody who's going through CPS, the initial um, cost? I'll tell you, it's a, it's a case-by-case basis. I sit with my clients. My interviews take about three hours, but, and I don't charge to sit with the family and, and analyze their case. And once I do that, then I determine what the cost is because, it, you know, it depends on what stage the case is at. It depends on what motions or uh, that have to be filed. And then I can also project how long the trial will take. It's, it's case by case. But I talk okay. to folks all the time free of charge in my office in a consultation because I think that they are entitled to have um, uh-huh. as much information as they can get before they have to pay somebody to get, you know, legal information about their about their families. I never charge the consultation fee. I just want to be able to inform families and, and give them the advice and they can go from there whether they want to hire me. I, I've done it for 20 years. And and, and, and you do cases in Cal- in uh, out here, um, like in like Los Angeles or anywhere you travel, and you charge a travel cost. So that can add up, right? It can add up. I, I, I represent people all over the state of California, everywhere. Karen, you, you want to give uh, contact information, a website, phone number, et cetera? I, I, have it. Yeah, I, I, I have her information. Okay, well, maybe um, there are other people in the audience who would like to. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. Huh. Yes. Are you, you want me to give it now? Sure. Okay. Um, you can find me at um, Johnson & Johnson, Walnut Creek, Karen Johnson with a C, I have a blog. I have a website. I'm pretty easy to find. Just go there. I've got a big website and blogs, and the blogs are me. C, not K, C, not K-A-R-E-N. C-A-R-E-N, Johnson. Okay. C-A-R-I-N. C-A-R-I-N. Okay, great. Can I have one more question? Go ahead. 
Uh, going to CPS, and, and I have a friend who her case closed. They gave him 50% custody, even though he didn't follow any of the of the agreement, the mediation agreement, you know, where he had to do individual counseling to go to conjoint therapies. He didn't want to do anything. He kept saying, it's not my fault. We came in in this situation. He took the child for about six months. The mother got him back. The case closed, but he kept breaking court orders, and, and then the woman went back two years later to family court to tell the court this guy breaks family court orders. He breaks every court order. He sets her up to create these problems. And she's in a school she didn't consent to, and, and it's an hour for her. So then he wins in family court, and he gets legal custody, legal and, and decisions of medical. And um, So the judge decided that because these two don't get along, so she gives it to the dad who breaks every court order and penalizes the mom if something happened three years ago in CPS was not proved. It was one social worker, six months of investigation, they found the dad to be manipulative, combative. She has reports against him for four months, gave this to family court, but that judge went to the dad. And now she doesn't get some support. She doesn't have nothing, and she has to drive an hour to a school that he put the child in. What is the chances of you maybe representing her in family court? Do you do such cases? And can you go back and tell this new judge, you said you're not going to take anything before 2011, and yet you did. You considered CPS decisions. They filed something called judicial notice, and the attorney this woman had did not fight it. He didn't do anything, really. He thought they had a good case. You can't put her in the school without your consent. You have shared custody. But the woman lost, and she's been living with this a year and a half. With the loss, she's afraid to go back to family court. Can you help Karen in this situation? Well, you know, there's a lot there. Just set up uh-huh. an appointment, and I will talk to you about all of it. Okay. And you'll do a free consultation on that? Yes, I do. I always do. Okay. okay great. Very good. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Okay. I'm going to go on to our next call. I'm going to press take next. And that next is um, Rick in Scotts Valley. Thanks for waiting, Rick. You're on the air. Hey, guys. Hi. We're just having a, a little bit of a, an analogy I saw uh, Wally did a thing where he talked about private, you know, the what is it, um, concealed carry. And he said that he wanted to do a psych test. I think an immediate thing that could be taken care of, and your lawyer and the other man that wrote the book, Dominguez, he said he has something in there about licensing these social workers. What I believe should happen, I believe just like if you want a, 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 um, Concealed carry, the sheriff would have overriding approval of people who become social workers. And they would have to take the same psychological test that we would have to take to get a concealed carry. If you're going to give that person that much power of carrying a gun concealed, you should also make a person, a social worker, that has the kind of power they do, swear to the Constitution an oath that they would uphold even to the extent of deputizing social workers under the control of the sheriff. Because wow. most counties... What a concept. Most ca- <laughs> What's that? What a concept. Huh. Okay, well, listen to this. Everything is county-based. The department is driven out of county demand, and that's why uh, we, the sheriff 
unlike any other official, once we trust hey, him, Rick, with there's, some terrible, there's, some, there's some terrible um, interference here. Are, are you listening okay. to like a, 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 an internet, you know, delayed broadcast or something? No, but I got my phone open here. Now I'm on a Bluetooth. Let me get off my Bluetooth. All right. My phone. Yeah, because we, we, we want to finish up here. You've got a great call, but it's irritating I to listen to. Hello? No, well, not really. It's horrible now. Hello? Okay, never mind. Thank you, Rich. That, okay. There goes Rich in Scotts Valley, or Rick in Scotts Valley. Here's Rich in Salinas. Rich, you're on the air on KSCO. Yeah, hi. It's too bad you don't have Alex Jones in on this discussion, too, because he's talked about you know, the tentacles that go out from this and all the things that they uh, that they set this up. It's just, well, well all, the, all the agencies find a What's that? We could try to. No, there's not enough yeah. time left. Yeah, there's not a lot of time now. All the yeah. agencies, look, look, at the, look at the Veterans Administration right now and all the stuff that's coming out there. All of our government agencies are corrupt. And they're all intertwined, and they're all used to help each other and make money and control it. And the simple fact is, CPS, I call them child procurement agency or services, because they're looking for children that they can take to the weak and can't defend themselves, or they want to set an example for somebody who will fight the system, put them down, so that they, everybody knows they're in control. And once they get you in their tentacles, they'll, they'll try to drugs out of them instead. Wow. Rich, I'm sorry. We can't... We can't. I wish people wouldn't call on cell phones. They're just getting worse and worse, not yeah, better and better. Yeah. You know, don't if you have a cell phone, don't call the radio. Just get on get on the landline, or you're just going to wreck the show. Okay. So now we have nobody left. So <laughs> I guess it's just us. Well, I tell you, we had some really good callers. Yeah, and, no, uh, for sure. And I'm sorry, I, I lose my temper, but I, I can't, I can't handle this. This is just too much. With the people who call, uh, nine times out of ten, people who call on cell phones have Bluetooth problems or coverage problems or whatever. So stop calling the station on a cell phone. Just stop. Don't want to hear it anymore. Do we have another caller? I don't know whether we do or not. We're okay. just being screened. Go ahead. Well, you know what? We have, we've had a lot of great callers, and it's clear that this issue touches all of us. Whether or not we've had our own child removed, we all know of a family, or we've all heard stories and it isn't a matter of us and them. This isn't a left of center or right of center issue. It isn't a matter of you're Republican or Democrat. If someone comes to your house, the pain and anguish will be the same. The fear and terror will be the same. This isn't a political issue. This is a moral issue, MZ. This is an issue that, that touches all of us in ways that are profound and have lasting effects. We all have to find ways to, to look at the serious systemic issues to make permanent course corrections with these issues and problems that we're finding. Um, the caseloads that social workers have, I know that in L.A. County, they're twice as large as they should be based on studies that took place back in 2001 with SB Senate Bill 2030. They, they had an exhaustive study, MZ, at the time, where they looked at every second of the workload of a social worker and determined they shouldn't have caseloads over 15 or 17, whether they're the first responders or the back end. You know that they average 30 to 50 or more. So how can you have a system that serves the public, that's charged with the responsibility for the safety and welfare, when you give them twice as much work, no support, they experience a, sec a, a kind of vicarious trauma 
which is a topic we'll get into on another show. The vicarious trauma, workloads that are twice as large, no support, and then they're forced to sign and agree to things that disagree with their finding. You add all of this up, MZ, and it's a formula for absolute failure and disaster over and over again. The system has fundamental flaws, obstacles, and system failures that we need to absolutely... It reminds me of... uh Situations back with the planning department makes you sign a waiver saying, though the law says that they have to, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was, uh, address your uh, concern within 30 days. So you have to, you know, sign a waiver saying that you you agree to not to, to exempt them from that law or something. There's the, there are other waivers that they make you sign saying that uh, they're not going to cooperate with you in your project unless you um, sign some sort of right away, you know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's horrendous. Anyhow, um, let's see, it's 11 minutes before 12 noon. Uh, 11 minutes remain on this edition of the KSCO Saturday Special with guests Fox uh, Sloan, uh, who has had her um, grandchild uh, removed, granddaughter uh, removed from her care by Child uh, Protective Services, Jerry Dominguez, is a co-author of a uh, of a very interesting book called A Culture of Fear. And if you want to call us here in the remaining uh, few minutes of our program, you can call area 831-479-1080, or you can participate via um, via uh, email, um, mz at ksco.com. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we've been having all kinds of phone issues today. You know, I'm so disgusted. You know, I, you can tell that I'm really frustrated when I tell people, when I bark at people and tell them, if you've got a cell phone, don't bother to call in. But, you know, the, the honest-to-God truth is is that people are getting rid of their, their landlines. And, if, and if, we in, if we enforce that rule, guess what? We're not going to have a talk radio station. I just realized that. You know, yeah. so we, we really can't enforce that rule. But I, I happen to have knowledge, and it's no secret that, that – Telephone systems, you know, cell towers that were designed to have, you know, 3,000 people, you know, using them are being squished by the by the uh, the carriers to have 30,000 people on them. And that's why you have all these issues with bad audio and dropped calls and everything. And, you know, I'm looking at a future where there will be no communications. It's just going to maybe that's the way they'll get rid of talk radio, you know. By just having it just be one-way lecture well, radio. Well, we need because, talk radio because oh, I know, I'll tell you're you, talking oh to my the, gosh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, transparency without that. I don't want to scare you, ladies and gentlemen, but the next disaster, do not, and I'm talking about disaster, I'm talking about an earthquake, I'm talking about a flood, I'm talking about a fire, I'm talking about a powder, power outage, any of these uh, 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 natural or, or uh, any kinds of disasters that you have learned to depend on KSCO your favorite radio station, to bring you through. Don't count on it anymore, ladies and gentlemen, because all that's left are undependable telephone systems. Okay? Don't count on it anymore. Much as I hate, I'm just warning you ahead of time. We're we're always going to do the best we can. But technology is evolving to the point where it will be impossible for us to do our job shortly. I hate to say it. Uh, Michael, um, before I, I got sucked into this um, 
quicksand, I think we called it, of CPS. Um, many years ago, I think it was about uh, 15 back in South Dakota, I was working with a documentary film crew, and we went out and we interviewed mostly indigenous people. And the Lakota were telling about how uh, the DSS back there was taking children, splitting them up. And, of course, later after listening to uh, Daniel Sheehan and his group, um, children were being drugged given uh, pharmaceuticals to make them complacent and compliant while they were in homes in, in the system. And and that was 15 years ago. And then um, w- when this happened to our family, I didn't have a computer for six months. And when I did get a computer and I went online and I started researching, I was horrified at how long this has been going on, how widespread. It is a national scandal. I believe it is going to dwarf both the Boy Scouts and the Catholic Church put together uh, as far as as when it comes to the child abuse issues. And uh, I also, because of the Internet, had been able to get in contact with other coalitions, other individuals, other, uh, other groups, and I honestly believe that we, the people, the power of the people, there's more of us than there are of them. The situation is, that's my job that I have accepted, is to raise awareness and get people to come together and change the system, reform the laws, and make things truly better for these children. And one thing that some of the statistics, it's the failure rate of foster children is like 80%. By the time they age out, they're pregnant, on drugs, in jail or dead. That dovetails nicely into an email from Steph who dropped off, who was a caller a while back here. I think it's our own Steph here at KSCO. Question about aged out kids in foster system. MZ, thank you for the show. Sorry about the phone issue. I have a question for your guest. I hear so much about aged out kids who fall through the cracks and who often have nothing. Is it systematic uh, in foster care itself, uh, or systemic, I should say, uh, in foster care itself that creates this scenario? In your experience, what percentage of people foster children just for the money or who abandon the youth when they age out? Yeah, I want to ask Jerry this because this is something that I personally saw is that it's a cash, what Robert called a cash for kids operation and that not all the children that are put in foster placement truly need to be there. I think this again goes back to put the money into the families help them with their issues, help them heal, solve their problems, and keep the children at home. Then so many children won't be in the system. You know, MZ, we're talking about transitional age children, children that are about to age out of the system, as it's called. What does age out mean? Age out means they reach the age of of 18, and suddenly Uh we cut you loose. No matter you're, what, you're, there are you're no on, services. You're right. on your own. Now, l- recently, legislation has changed, and now they're offering services through the age of 20 and 21. But the same situation basically uh, takes place. We have a child that's been disenfranchised from their family. They've been separated. They've been in a foster home, probably several foster homes. And now they're 18, 19, or 20, and now they're, they're facing a world on their own disconnected from the family system for a year or years, and they're essentially looking at a world that they have no idea how to navigate, what to do. The school has been absolutely uh, a, a dismal failure because they've had to change placements and change foster homes, and they haven't been able to stay in the same school in a lot of situations. They have little idea of, of who they really are in relation to their family, 
And then they have all this trauma and all these issues because of the separation and because of what's taking place. And now you're on your own suddenly wow. at 18, 19, 20, right. and good luck. I hate to do this, but we got less. We got oh. four, four minutes left. Okay. We have three people on the line, and Vera Sarkissian has written, sent an email. Great, but sad show. I have a very simple comment. We must give the family the benefit of any doubt. Just as we say, innocent until proven guilty, we must put the strength back in the family. The alternatives were awful and well represented on your show. The strength of the family has been eroded in our society, and the result will be the downfall of society. Very here, here, wonderful, um, wonderful email from Vera Sarkissian. Okay, uh, who's next here? Who's been waiting the longest? That would be Lowell in Soquel. You're on the air, Lowell. Make it quick, please. Hi, MG. Hey, I want to just tell you quickly. I know a little bit about Fox's situation. You will not find a more caring and loving person than Fox Sloan. Uh, you've alluded I get those to those vibes, actually. You've alluded to the comparisons with some of your CPR, some of the property rights things. Yeah. Be aware that Fox and her husband were fighting the county and may still be fighting the county. Yeah, she so told me during the break. Problem. Yeah, and I she said, let's talk load. about that. She didn't want to, which is ter- well, I understand. It, just to bring it out that it's happening. Yeah. There, it's a horrible thing. In another era, another time. This kind of thing would have torches and pitchforks down at the county building. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that's going on in both of these things. I'm not advocating doing this, but that's where they take it. Well, the last time I heard something sort of resembling that is when the county was talking about metering the wells. That was like in 1993 yes. or 94 or something like that. And those um, supervisors feared for their Lives. You remember we're, that. We're going to take this to yeah. another view. We'll put it at the Civic Auditorium. Yeah. It's what they said, and then it died. They never did it again. Wow. Lowell, thanks for your call. Next uh, caller, Gail in Live Oak. Quickly, Gail. Thanks. I'd just like to, uh, Fox to mention whatever workshop she has uh, planned, and also that these speakers are going to be at Freedom Forum next Wednesday at uh, 1917th Avenue, 7 p.m., May 21st. Those are always amazing public events. Thank you. And they're free, and God, my hat's off to you guys, and we'll help you in every way we can, as we do with the public service announcements and so forth. We appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, Real quickly here, and we've got got Bill and Carmel, and we want to finish up. Okay, on Monday, May 19th, at the Santa Cruz Quaker Meeting House at 20... uh, Two five two twenty five Rooney Street, um, and the following night, Tuesday, May twentieth, uh, seven to nine, same location, same time. Jerry will be there with his book, and on Monday it will be for people and learning their rights, their children's rights, how to protect themselves against CPS, and it will be the beginning of a reform discussion on Tuesday. The entire CPS. Uh, an agency has been invited to a workshop on the vicarious traumatization syndrome, and hopefully they will attend. Yeah, Bill and Carmel, you're the last caller. Quick. Yeah, this is part of uh, the destruction of the family, like other callers have said, and who's behind it is psychiatry when they're mislabeling of people and drugging them. And, of course, you're never cured. But look, uh-huh. look, look at this. This psychiatry wants to destroy the family, yeah. and they're doing it, MZ. Uh-huh. That's clear, that's, it. that's clear to me. Yep. That is it for the program. Thanks, uh, Fox Sloan. Thanks, Jerry Domingo.